This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. One night only, the top 10 candidates are here. Our Democratic primary debate starts right now. This is an ABC News special. At last night's presidential debate, the candidates talked about the big ideas they'd enact if they became president. I have a bold plan to deal with making sure we triple the money for at-risk schools. Make sure that every American has health care as a comprehensive vision to tackle systemic racism, marshalling as many resources as one. I want every single American family to have a strong Medicare plan available. Providing universal child care for every baby age zero to five, universal pre-K for every three-year-old. These big ideas require big money. And increasingly, Democrats have some new plans about where to get that cash. Wealth tax on the top one-tenth of one percent in this country. From Biden to Castro to Warren, Democrats across the slate are looking beyond the income tax to fund their proposals. They're talking about taxing wealth, going after the net worth of the super rich. But how exactly do you tax wealth? And would it work? Today on the show, three Democratic candidates, three plans to tax the rich. Welcome to The Journal, our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, September 13th. Rich Rubin has covered tax policy for over a decade. Never before has he heard so much about a wealth tax. We've heard a lot of talk about taxing the rich. That's been a pretty consistent theme among Democrats for quite a while now. You've seen that in the past couple of presidential campaigns. And I just think there's been a lot more conversation about wealth and income inequality among the public. There's sort of more awareness of it, and Democrats are looking for ways to tap into that and respond to it. But I think what we're seeing now is a a real shift in how they talk about taxing the rich. And that's really by looking at wealth as opposed to just income. So obviously, income includes a bunch of things. Your paycheck, the money you get when you sell stock or a property. And all of that currently gets taxed via capital gains tax or the income tax. But increasingly, Democrats are interested in taxing something else. Wealth. The wealth we're talking about is everything that a rich person has. Their stocks, their home, their business, yachts and fancy cars— minus everything they owe, their debts and their obligations. And so we're really talking about the total cumulative value of what the super rich own. If you're just holding stuff, holding stock, your house, your business, your yacht, that's not income. It's just wealth. And with some exceptions, you generally don't pay taxes on that. That opens the door for a tax strategy to hold on to wealth that some Democrats really do not like. The real tax strategy that's under attack now from Democrats is what you would call, and what some scholars have called, 
buy, borrow, die. Buy, borrow, and die. <laughs> buy, borrow, and die. The first step in this tax strategy is to buy. So say someone wants to buy assets. A second home in Vermont, a hundred Smoothie King franchises, Apple stock, whatever. Someone could buy those assets and then sit back and watch them grow in value. And here's where the borrow comes in. Say that person wants to spend some of their wealth. If they sold off the Smoothie Kings, they'd get hit with a tax. So instead, they go out and get a big loan because that loan doesn't get taxed. They can use the loan basically as their income, but without the income taxes. And when they die? Basically, if you never sell and you die when you're holding these assets, then all of those gains go untaxed. And if their heirs sell that stock, they pay no income tax on all of that gain made over the course of the person's life. It vanishes from the income tax system altogether. The estate tax is there, but the income tax will never touch any of that. And that's the core strategy, and Democrats are trying to prevent people from doing that. Buy, borrow, die isn't the only tax strategy that rich people use to keep their wealth. But these kinds of strategies have meant that just a small number of people have accumulated many trillions of dollars. That's a big pile of money for Democrats to tap into. Democrats have a very large agenda for what they want the government to do, whether that's health care or fighting climate change or paid family leave or any number of things that you see Democratic candidates talking about. They want to pay for all of that and they want to go where the money is. And the money is in very rich people. Rich has been diving deeply into these Democratic plans to tax wealth and is concentrated on three candidates with three different plans. So the first one we'll talk about is from former Vice President Joe Biden, which is the most moderate, I guess, of the three options here, though it's somewhat to the left of where even the previous Democratic presidents were. Uh, and then there are also really much more uh, revolutionary proposals from uh, Julian Castro and Elizabeth Warren. Warren's plan, I think, would require the most structural change in the tax system. Got it. Uh, maybe we'll go with like a mild, medium, and hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mild, medium, and hot. So if we start on the more mild end, the more moderate end, we've got Joe Biden. His plan really targets the die part of that buy, borrow, die tax strategy. The proposal from Vice President Biden would say that when someone dies, it's like they had sold their assets and that sale would be taxed. Can you give us an example? Let's make up a hypothetical person. Let's call her Shirley Sanders. She's rich. Oh, no, um, we shouldn't call her Sanders. Oh, totally. I was just looking for alliteration, but you're right. You can call her Shirley Smith if you want. Shirley Smith. So what happens to Shirley Smith's wealth under Biden's plan? Yeah, imagine that Shirley Smith bought a million dollars worth of stock in 1990, and she's now 95 years old, and that stock is worth $10 million. Sounds like a pretty okay investment. <laughs> yeah, she's doing great. She's doing great. Under current law, that $9 million gain, if she sold that stock, she'd pay a 23.8% tax on that. If she died tomorrow, then there'd be no taxes due. 
and her heirs, uh, Shirley Smith Jr. or whatnot, <laughs> if they sold that stock for $10 million, would pay no taxes. So here's what happens to Shirley Smith under Biden's plan. That $9 million gain gets taxed in the year she dies at probably at about a 40% rate. That's like a $3.6 million tax bill. And so there's millions of dollars then that uh, would come into the government that wouldn't have otherwise. So if you support some kind of a wealth tax, what, what are the pros of this plan? Right. So if you put your progressive Democrat hat on and think about this plan, the pro is it does raise money from rich people. It's relatively undisruptive. The con for, again, thinking as a uh, progressive Democrat would be that the money doesn't come in all that quickly. Right, yeah. You basically have to wait for more wealthy people to pass away. Yeah. For Democrats trying to raise a lot of money, um, this proposal gets plenty, but not as much as some of the other options because the money comes in relatively gradually over decades as people die. The pro of Biden's plan for Democrats It doesn't require a ton of new regulations or staff or procedures. The con, it takes time to actually see the money, which is one reason Democratic candidate Julian Castro might be taking a different tack. The proposal from Julian Castro would say, every year the gain in value of what you own would be treated as income, whether you sold it or not. So if we were to use the Shirley Smith example again, remember she bought her stock in 1990 for $1 million. And over time, that stock grew in value to $2 million, $5 million, $10 million. Under the current tax code, as long as she holds that stock, it can keep growing tax-free. That's what Castro wants to change. What Castro says is, look, we're not even going to look at whether you sell an asset or not. We're going to look at how much it went up in value over each year, and then that's going to count as income. Under Castro's plan, if Shirley's stock went up by a million dollars in one year, she'd pay taxes on that million. And if it went up another million the next year, she'd pay taxes on that, too. That's how it would work year after year. And so that's a system that gets money in sooner, right? You don't have to wait for people to die. But it's sort of like taxing paper gains, essentially, because the value of that stock could go up, 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 and it's taxed every time it goes up, but then it could fall way below the value that it was before, and now the person has been taxed on money that they never actually spent. Yeah, the negatives are how to deal with those years when assets go down. The negatives are you have to deal with assets where you don't really know exactly what they're worth, right? It's one thing to look at a stock, and we all know what IBM and Apple stock are worth. We don't really know what Shirley Smith's cousin's trucking company in Indiana is worth every Mm -hmm. year. And there are ways around that, but there's some complexity when you get into those questions of what a private business is worth. Those are the, the hardest things to value in some ways. Yeah, it sounds like this might be a good plan for the auditing industry. Oh, inevitably, any of these plans, there's going to be compliance battles and audits and fights and lawsuits and whatnot. That is part of what comes with taxing the Mm -hmm. rich is, for the rich, the cost of the lawyers and tax preparers is worth it because there's so much money on the table. Next up, the revolutionary plan driving the wealth tax conversation. Warren's plan changes the game entirely. 
That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Empower. If you're like most people, you've had your fair share of financial questions. Questions like, will you be able to afford a third kid? Will you be able to do everything you want when you retire? What if you outlive your savings? Empower knows these questions can be stressful, so they're here to help answer your what-ifs and empower what's next. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future. Tap the banner to learn more or visit empower.com. Welcome back. Elizabeth Warren is the plan candidate. It's kind of her tagline. Warren has a plan for that. But all of those plans rely on this plan. When you make it to the top, the top of the top, the top of the top of the top, one-tenth of one percent, pitch in two cents so everybody else gets a chance to make it It's the funding source for a lot of her initiatives. It raises so much money, and then she's kind of allocated how she's thinking about spending it. So it's it's important for that reason. It's also become a, a rallying cry. You know, this is a 2% tax, and you hear people chanting two cents, two cents at her rallies. Like, this is a, a core part of, of what she's proposing as, as a candidate. It seems like this is a plan that has inspired other candidates. Yeah, there's no one who's relying on it quite the way she is. But you've seen Better O'Rourke endorse the idea of a wealth tax. You've seen Bernie Sanders included as an option for paying for his health care plan. There's just no one who's identified with it the way that Senator Warren is. And so what's the central idea behind Warren's plan? The idea is to go after the fortunes of the super rich, to tax people on everything they own as opposed to what they earned in a particular year. So it imposes a 2% tax every year on the net worth above 50 million and an additional 1% on net worth above 1 billion. So I, if I have more than $50 million in assets and houses and stock and, and maybe a business, I'm going to get taxed 2% just on the total value of that wealth. And then everything above a billion, an additional percent on that. 3%, okay. So it really concentrates the tax on the very, very wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So, so Shirley Smith, she wouldn't be affected at all by this tax. Exactly. Right. So if you have $10 million, $20 million, $30 million, you wouldn't be affected at all. And that's a, that's a sort of conscious political choice by, by Senator Warren to say, you know, the estimates are about 75,000 households in the U.S. that would be affected by this tax. And so you really can raise potentially a lot of money from a relatively small group of people. And that's, you can see the obvious political benefits of that. Mm-hmm. How much money would it raise, potentially? So that, that's a source of some dispute right now. The economists, uh, Emmanuel Saez and Gabriel Zuckman, who helped develop the plan, 
They're both at the University of California, Berkeley. They say that it would generate about $2.75 trillion over the next decade. So this is, you know, I think about a 6% increase in federal revenue just from those 75,000 people. Wow. Yeah. But there's obviously a dispute because there's there are economists and analysts who question that revenue estimate and think that the real amount of money it might generate is significantly lower than that. Is that because of loopholes or because it would just be so hard to implement that they couldn't actually collect the money? So implementation is a huge issue. You would need all sorts of rules to value assets. Like, you know, as we've discussed, right, like stocks, easy. Houses, yeah, you've got local property tax assessors that do that, pretty easy. Private businesses are when it gets really tricky to figure out exactly what those are worth, and you'd have to figure it out every year. The IRS has been shrinking, not expanding, so you would need to hire and train a lot of really talented IRS examiners to go figure out what rich people have. Mm -hmm. And the other challenge is trying to keep the tax... uh, I use the word pure because one real concern is if you start carving out exemptions, if you say, oh, well, we don't want to tax people's primary residence or we don't want to tax people's like businesses that they're actively operating or any other things that sound or family businesses, things that sound sort of sympathetic. When you create gaps in a tax like this, it is an invitation for people to plan into those gaps. And so that's A big challenge here is trying to figure out, is there a way that an actual Congress that might exist in 2021 would be able to write and implement a wealth tax that is free of loopholes with the best tax lawyers in the world trying to find every hole they can? In some ways, it sounds like Warren's plan is sort of the simplest, just 2% on everything over 50 million and 3% on everything over a billion. And there's research out there that says simpler tax plans are actually more enforceable. But it is ambitious, and we shouldn't pretend that it's not ambitious. And it it would require a sustained, well-funded effort by the government to make it work. What do Republicans think about these ideas? So you've got some Republicans, mostly in the think tank world, as opposed to elected officials, who are roughly okay with something resembling the Biden idea as long as it's paired with uh, maybe some spending cuts or other things. The other proposals, the Castro idea and the wealth tax, have met with universal objection from Republicans. They argue that taxes like that would hurt the economy, would discourage wealth creation. Taxes are not something they want to go around raising at all. And certainly not this way. (laughs) So what are the odds that any of these plans actually happen? So if Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House in 2021, there is a very good chance that taxes on the super rich will go up. I think the momentum within the party for sharply higher taxes on very rich people is real. You shouldn't discount it. And they are absolutely going to follow through with something. Just how dramatic of a change would a wealth tax be? I mean, it sounds like it, it seems to me that it would be sort of a fundamental rethinking of just how the government collects money. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the last time the U.S. federal government really introduced a 
new tax of this scale, you probably have to think about the introduction of the payroll tax in the 30s to fund Social Security. I mean, we certainly have had huge shifts in the tax system over the past 40 years. Rates have come down so much. Uh, The estate tax has been narrowed. Deductions have come and gone. But this introduction of a new significant tax would be uh, itself quite unlike anything we've seen in maybe 70 or 80 years. That's all for today, Friday, September 13th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We are your hosts. He's Ryan Knutson, and I'm Kate Limoff. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Our senior producer is Pia Gedkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. And Gerard Cole is our executive producer. Our music this week comes from Haley Shaw, Bobby Lord, and Marcus Begala from Gimlet. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions and Keen Collective. Special thanks to Nazanin Rafsanjani and Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. We'll see you Monday.